welcome to Chit Chat Money. On this show, hosts Ryan Henderson and Brett Schaefer interview industry experts and riff on the world of investing. As a quick reminder, Chit Chat Money is a CCM Media Group podcast. Ryan and Brett are also general partners at Arch Capital, and Arch Capital may have positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Anything discussed on Chit Chat Money by Ryan or Brett or any other podcast guests is not formal advice or recommendation. Now, please enjoy this episode. Welcome in. This is the Sunday deep dive episode. Typically, we have Brad Freeman on, but he is out this week, should be back next week. Uh, and we got our fill-in, Ian, doing double time this week. So, Ian, thank you for coming on the show and taking the time. Um, how are you doing? We're riding the hard verdict season. Um, how, how the company is, you know, what are you, what are you feeling out there? It's uh, it's an interesting time in the market. You know, there's there's some companies that are reporting some pretty good earnings, but as we've been talking about for months now, valuations are so stretched that sometimes it doesn't even matter what a company reports. It just it's it's time for a little haircut. So, and at any time to get double double the time with you guys is is a great week for me. So, <laughs> all right, we'll take we'll take that uh, we'll take that to it's, heart. Um, yeah, it's 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 big. Uh, great quarter stock down by more time at time of the year. <laughs> well, that's what the, that's what the tweets are telling me. Uh, there's a lot of chaos out there. Uh, some of the high growth stocks are going a little bit crazy, but today we're going to be talking about a SPAC from Altimeter, and it is a super app from Asia uh, called Grab, Southeast Asia, I guess. Uh, but before we do that, we're going to talk about our friends at friend, friend, friends, I guess, friend the Multis. At- the multis at potential multi-baggers. Uh, the aim of potential multi-baggers is to find stocks that can go 10x over the next 10 years or compound at 26% per year. Potential multi-baggers, which is run by our friend Chris at From Growth to Value. You probably know him on Twitter or on Seeking Alpha. He has picked Shopify at $77 a share, C Limited at $54 a share, Okta at $64 a share. Roku at $113 a share. The list goes on and on. I don't need to say anything else. There's a great community that they have around there where you can discuss in the comments section. Chris is always interacting with people, giving updates on the picks, making sure that you know what you're doing if you're trying to invest in high growth companies. If you want to become a multi, you can go on Seeking Alpha and look up from growth to value, Google it or go to at from value on Twitter. All right, enough of that. Ryan, do you want to introduce Grab? Yeah. So as you kind of mentioned there, uh, Grab is a Southeast Asian super app. And so there aren't, there really aren't any comparables in the US. I guess you could make a case that Cash App kind of does some of the stuff. Um, but they offer rides, which is sort of their like Uber type of product. They have Grab Pay, which is kind of like an Apple Pay, but you can also, it's also a point of sale. So it's not just like digital. Uh, it's not like just remote payments. It's also like you can put your phone up to whatever the point of sale system is and pay. There's food delivery, there's shopping, bill payment. Uh, there's even investing. Um, there might be a peer-to-peer payments element. I saw that on a YouTube video that was kind of like, it was <laughs> it was kind of a funny YouTube video. They like go through this guy's day and he uses Grab for everything. Oh yeah, they have them taking two ride like Ubers. With, you know, they have the Uber thing as well. They had them taking two of those each day. I'm like, mm-hmm, totally realistic. And, uh, but the the ride service, there's also like shuttles and trains that are like grab shuttles or whatever. So it's not just like 
cars. Um, and then the idea is basically that customers no longer need a wallet. They just go out there with their phone and they've got grab on there. They can do whatever they need. Uh, but on the driver side, they have a bit of a super app as well. And they treat them more like employees. So there are full-time grab drivers and there's part-time grab drivers. Um, but they offer driver insurance. They've got savings goals, schedules. And then they also have like grab driver centers. Um, and you can like sit down with a representative and they can take you through like your earnings and like insurance programs and anything else that they have. Uh, but they op operate in Singapore, Malaysia, Philippines, Vietnam, Thailand, and Indonesia. So that's basically their geographic market. And then they've got, as far as history goes, the company was actually born out of a Harvard business competition by Anthony Tan and Hui Ling Tan uh, in 2011. The, the two are not related. So just kind of a coincidence there, but Anthony Tan actually comes from a pretty wealthy family. So they operate Tantrong Motors, which is the leading Nissan franchise seller uh, in Southeast Asia. They're actually publicly listed in, uh, in Malaysia. Um, so he kind of came from money, I guess. And then him and Hui Ling uh, met at Harvard. They were both from Asia. And they said that friends were complaining about how hard it was to get, get a taxi in Malaysia. However, Uber was founded in 2009. So I feel like they were just seeing Uber's success in America yeah. and just like, let's just do the same thing over there, whatever. Um, but they won second place at their business plan competition. They received a $25,000 grant. Uh, winning the competition also caught the attention of several Asian investors. And that's sort of where they got their funding about 10 years later. Him, uh, at, by him, I mean, Anthony Tan and Brad Gerstner connected. And so they both went to Harvard. So they kind of had that background in common and they decided to come take the company public via SPAC. Um, that, or they've announced the merger now. And Brad Gerstner, if you're not familiar, is the sponsor. He's the founder of Altimeter, which Alt AGC is sort of the ticker. It's Altimeter Growth Corp. He's uh, the founder of that sponsor. Yeah, and they're kind of a growth investing fund. They took public uh, Snowflake, or they were lead investor in Snowflake, something like that. They were and private, private funds. Private before that, yeah, for Snowflake. And then they they invested in Roblox before the IP, or sorry, the direct listing as well, but I'll, I'll hit industry and landscape here for grabs of Southeast Asia, just to give a reference. For anyone who doesn't know the overview of the uh, region has a population of about 670 million people. They see from grab themselves about a $52 billion total addressable market that is rapidly expanding. Again, seeing the addressable market stuff, always take it with a grain of salt, really not that important, but I, I think it's a good reference here. Um, outside of Singapore, though, GDP per capita in the region is typically very low. I think it's about 14000 a year, maybe 20000 in some of the richer countries. Um, and the difference between, and I kind of came up with this because we covered Jumia this week as well, so I guess interesting timing. So the difference between like Africa and Southeast Asia, a huge difference is the average age of the population. A lot of the countries have an average age of around 30, uh, but in Africa, it's around 20. So different demographics there. Southeast Asia has about 400 million internet users and about $100 billion in annual digital spend. So really not that much spend compared to the Western markets or the East Asian markets. Um, and that's projected to triple within five years, which seems very reasonable. And you have to remember when looking at this though, that there are differences between each market too. So there's a big difference between Singapore, Indonesia, Malaysia, Thailand. They all have their unique economic, um, you know, whatever's going on in the region. But uh, Ian, you want to hit management and ownership? Yep. As Ryan mentioned, Anthony Tan and Hui Ling Tan are the co-founders. Um, Anthony Tan is the CEO now, whereas uh, Hui Ling is the COO. 
uh, as as Ryan mentioned, they met at Harvard Business School and had that interesting story about the um, pitch competition. Uh, one other interesting note about them is uh, Hui Ling Tan, the COO, had a slightly different path um, to the company. So following Harvard Business School, she had to go work at McKinsey for a year. It was part of like an education agreement with them that um, she, that they would like cover her education if she came back to work for them because she was previously working for McKinsey. And so she had to go back and work there for a year. And then she joined Salesforce for a couple of years. Um, She didn't go full time at Grab until 2015, but apparently they welcomed her back. We're happy to kind of have her full time with the team. Um, She owns a little under 1% of the company. And so not as much as Anthony Tan, who post uh, merger will own about 2.2%. When it was announced, this was the world's largest SPAC acquisition. And I think still to date, um, there hasn't been any larger SPAC acquisition um, and taking uh, a company public through a SPAC. Um, One other note, SoftBank has been involved. They're gonna receive about a four and a half billion dollar cash payout from this agreement. Um, I know there's there's a, probably some varying opinions by different people about what SoftBank involvement means. Um, they're going to continue to remain a fairly major shareholder, owning about 18.6% of the company post um, this merger. Um, Uber owns about 14.3% post merger. Didi um, owns 7.5%. And then Toyota actually owns about 6% of the company post merger. You rarely see those. Or <laughs> see Toyota. I, I'm kind of surprised to see them. And it's weird. All these ride sharing companies seem to have invested in each other in like every company except for Lyft and Uber who are just kind of big competitors. They all seem to invest. Right. Between ride sharing, LIDAR companies, other autonomous vehicle companies, everybody owns a piece of everything basically. So it's, it's always interesting to see the exact breakdown, but um, definitely another situation like that here. Yeah. I'll hit a valuation quick. It's a bit different because we're not getting that audited financials yet. We'll kind of see you later, but the ticker of the SPAC is AGC. Ticker will be GRAB post-merger. So G-R-A-B. Equity value is estimated to be about $39.5 billion. It's higher based on the SPAC price, which is around $12, a little less than $12 right now. So typically that's based on a $10 per share value, which is what they'll convert at. So you're buying the SPAC at a bit of a premium. Just know you're buying at a, a bit of a higher valuation that kind of goes up when you're looking at that. Uh, price to sales would be about 25. If you see the GMD numbers, they're predicting about a 13% take rate at once they get to scale. I think they're pretty close to that right now. So they count a lot of the GMB numbers in the growth. You can kind of get an indication of what future revenue could be. They also got future revenue too. But yeah, price to sales, pretty expensive, 25 right now. And then any profit multiple that I would have seen in their investor presentation would either be negative uh, or extremely high. I mean, they have like a contribution profit number that was basically break even. So that's not really relevant right now. Just know that they have a lot of money and I'm sure Ian will get onto the balance sheet and they're trying to rapidly invest for growth. And that really transitions right over to Ryan. You want to talk about earnings? Yeah, they had 12 and a half billion in gross merchandise volume for 2020. That was up only about two and a half percent. So it sounds like they're growing kind of slow, but you have to remember that even though this is sort of a tech driven business, a lot of their business is still done in person. So whether it's rides or uh, like point of sales payments, like with grab pay, it still requires people kind of going out uh, and, and, you know, doesn't really operate that well in a social distanced environment. Um, so 2020 kind of had a hit for them, but their adjusted net revenue was 1.6 billion, which was actually up 60% year over year. 
Uh, so revenue as a percentage of gross merchandise volume went from 8% to 13%. Uh, and I'll kind of talk about why I think that was, but uh, I guess that's good to see. It shows that they can kind of get a higher percentage of that volume. But then contribution margin was 7% in 2020. Obviously, that doesn't sound very high, but it was up from negative 118% uh, the year before. Um, and so you're going to see like, just really, really lumpy results because before this, I mean, it was really a business. And even now it's a business that's driven by how much cash are they getting from financing and can they pour that into investments and then sort of reap the benefits later on. So when you've got SoftBank as a backer, that seems to be kind of the game plan you go after. Um, but their EBITDA margins were negative 52% for the year. If they had a, which I think equates to like an $800 million EBITDA loss. Uh, but then they had a $2.7 billion net loss. They had negative $800 million in operating cash flow. So big cash burn there, but there's obviously a lot of liquidity, which you know, I'll talk about. And then as far as non-financial results go, they had 25 million transacting customers, 5 million registered driver partners, and then 2 million merchant partners. So remember, there's also the merchant side. So there's that shopping feature and the grab pay stuff. So they kind of have, uh, I guess, a multi-sided marketplace. Uh, obviously, there's a lot of stakeholders given a super app. So uh, that's pretty much all for earnings. And you want to hit balance sheet? As far as the balance sheet goes, they've got about um, $3.4 billion in cash pre-SPAC. Um, looks like from what I'm reading that it's going to be somewhere in the neighborhood of uh, $4 billion in cash that they're receiving from this SPAC. And so they'll be in the neighborhood of somewhere between seven and uh, seven and a half billion post SPAC would be my guess, but definitely um, we're going to keep harping on this, but definitely something that you're going to want to take a look at this company once we get audited financials to see exactly where all these numbers come out. They've got about $200 million in what I would consider like uh, true debt um, and then 11 billion in convertible notes, which Again, can't find can't find the exact information on what those convertibles look like, but I would expect um, you should expect some probably fairly heavy dilution with those convertibles. And so, um, again, like I said, you, you're going to want to take a look at these audited financials once they come out. But um, a lot of convertible notes. Yeah, and I'd also add before we hit the break that if you're looking this company up, uh, the, there isn't like one. Uh, central place to find all the information. It's broken into like a bunch of different investor slides. Um, so just look up like AGC filings and you'll hit the SEC page. Um, and then there's all these different investor sites that you kind of have to go through. Very pretty graphs, but n nothing really consolidated into one page. Yeah, I think the key thing to think about with the, I think the two things you got to think about with Grab is that they've raised a lot of money, I think over $10 billion and they're also burning a lot of money that's you know that that's really it um and it's all through equity financing and, and no debt but i think that's going to cover it for the first half let's take a quick break and then we'll get to the second half of the show cox panoramic wi-fi includes advanced security to help protect all your connected devices you'll get real-time alerts oh like this one so you don't have to worry about malware or when your kid downloads a song from a shady link and now all your computer can play is Red color, red color, where are you? <sighs> all blocked, thanks to advanced security, included with Cox Panoramic Wi-Fi. Advanced security must be enabled in the Panoramic Wi-Fi app. Restrictions apply. Okay, next up, we are going to be talking about product experience. It looks like Ian and I don't have anything, but Ryan, uh, what'd you find? Yeah, did some Reddit thread digging, which that's where most investors get their alpha, if you don't know. But uh, there was basically someone asked, like, what's it like to be a full-time driver for Grab? 
and there were some less, uh, there were some not so great comments, I'd say. So apparently starting in about 2019, they started to remove some of the incentives. They started to peel back uh, sort of the promotions for the drivers, like the full-time drivers. Um, and that's also the time when they turned EBITDA profitable. So I f- kind of find that interesting. And on, on ride sharing, not in general. Right, on, on the ride sharing part. Um, and so a lot of people were like, it's better to just do part-time driving because then you can just go whenever the incentives are high. Because if you're not familiar with the ride sharing the right the driving side there's like peak hours or whatever so you get like twice the whatever take rate or something and yeah, or, new year's eve you go on yeah right and so there's uh i guess they said they started to peel them back for the full-time drivers uh i guess just something to pay attention to i want to over they classify the full-time drivers as employees i wouldn't overthink how great that is like it's not like these are phenomenal jobs it's still a lot yes. like uber driving you're kind of like the payments aren't that good. Yeah. And then one thing I also say is that in their presentations, they tout adjusted revenue. I had a hard time figuring out what true revenue was. Uh, but I know that one of their adjustments are these uh, driver incentives and rider incentives. So again, when you're looking at that, once we get audited financials, we're going to see how much uh, of like the revenue is driven by all these incentives they're giving these 10% off or whatever. Yeah. And I'll also add like, if you're thinking of it as like the super app, who cares about the rides part, the rides is still a bit prime. I'd say probably one of the more prominent parts of the business. Um, There is all these different little features that go along with it, but I think rides and grad pay, those are like really the big ones. Yeah. All right. Competitive advantages is up next. Ian, what do you have? I've got a competitive advantage that's, really true of all super apps it's for grab um they tout a 79 percent one-year retention rate if they can get users to use more than three services and that's kind of the allure of these super apps is hey we can get people on here once they're doing lots of stuff on it if they're using it every day for different aspects of their life we're going to be able to monetize through many different avenues and get a lot out of these users. And so um, it, it, one, it, this isn't a competitive advantage that helps them against other super apps necessarily, but um, it is something that it's, it's kind of the allure of super apps in general. And so, like I said, 79% one year retention rate, if they can get users to use more than three services, and they seem to have enough compelling services to achieve that retention with a good, um, with a significant amount of their users. Yeah, the and this is another one where even though it's a large company, again, so like Jamia, where we're trying to identify future things. I mean, the competitive advantage is right now it's probably either pretty weak or non-existent. Maybe I don't know what. Maybe Ryan has some uh, other point, but I would ask Ian, do you think seventy-nine percent is a good number? Because when I see that, I think twenty-one percent sure. That's a good question. I I look at that and yeah, there's a there is a significant amount of churn, but to 79% retention should be enough if they can continue to monetize, right? And continue to raise that average revenue per user and add new services. And um, I'm going to get into this later, but with their some of their cohort analysis, they're finding that people are spending more and more the longer they're on. And so to me, that's the more important number, as long as they maintain a reasonable retention rate, um, it starts, I think the numbers start looking good. And it, it's just, I think this is a competitive enough space where some churn is to be expected. Yeah, that cohort analysis is good. I would also, yeah, it feels like the type of app where it can be either like core to your day-to-day life 
or you can rarely use it. Like I'm not an app, I'm not like a daily customer on Uber, but there might be people that are. Uh, I think the same thing kind of applies. Like uh, I think it partially depends where you live and whether or not it's like applicable for you. Uh, but uh, my competitive advantage, I guess, is the stickiness of the mobile wallet. So, and this is more a theoretical competitive advantage because I don't actually have any numbers on it. But once you get locked in and you've got money on uh, sort of in this mobile wallet and you're using GrabPay on a regular basis and then you're receiving uh, kickbacks or rewards, benefits, that kind of thing, I feel like it's tough to switch. And I mean, if you're in a low churn environment and you're kind of the first mover, uh, that's that or at least the first one to the market. I think it's a good spot to be in. Brett, you're probably kind of used to this with the cash app. Um, I mean, once you start to kind of reap those benefits and you've got money and you've gotten used to it, I feel like it's really easy to keep using it. Uh, yeah. I mean, cash app has really good incentives. Uh, they give me some dumb 10% back in Bitcoin things that I just sell every time. So I get like three bucks in Bitcoin and then sell it. It's like, it's an amazing cashback program. I think they're hemorrhaging money on that, but uh it's i mean yeah I'm, I'm locked in pretty good service uh i mean if grab can replicate cash app yeah i mean that, that that product team has just executed phenomenally over the last five years if they can if they can replicate some of that magic uh they'll be doing just fine all right what's your uh, competitive advantage yeah so this isn't i wouldn't say this is not a competitive advantage but one thing i think people should consider is that most companies ignore the southeast asian market except uber who at a time when you i think you read the uber book they were trying to, for some reason, go into every market in the entire world, uh, which was, they obviously pulled that back. And uh, I don't know if you hit this, Ryan, but Uber like did a deal with Grab to leave the Southeast Asian market, something like that. I forget the details on it, but they did that in 2018. So theoretically, Grab has minimal competition, especially from these Western players. You see a lot of the Western competition focusing on India. It seems like there's a ton of attention to India. Amazon's going there and Spotify and Netflix. Walmart, etc. Um, so this could give them time to build out some sort of competitive advantage. Uh, but right now, it's kind of tough to see. It might give them a room to, you know, invest with a good ROI, less competition right now. But besides that, I mean, maybe the financial services thing, but and uh, competitive advantages might be lacking with this company right now. Yeah, agreed. All right, uh, f- future growth opportunities. Uh, Ian, what do you have? This one's a bit of a boring one, but I think it's the major growth opportunity for Grab is just riding the secular wave. Um, a few numbers on that. They've got 11% penetration. Sorry, they don't, but there's 11% um, general market penetration of online food purchasing compared to China's 21%. Um, 3% uh, penetration with ride hailing versus 15% in China. 17% of um transactions are made online versus 43% in China. So lots of growth if Southeast Asia is really going to follow um, China's kind of secular trends. But that's, it'll depend on how the economies of these countries really grow over the next couple of years and whether they do follow China's trend towards more and more online purchases. If they do, and if Grab continues to be a major player in that, there should be plenty of growth in those um, uh, growing markets to to grow, but it's a little bit of a TAM argument and not necessarily an argument based on uh, the operational efficiency and execution of, of Grab. Yeah, I mean, they are the lead, they are the leading provider, I think in ride hailing mobile wallet or ePay in their markets. So I guess, yeah, yeah the, the growth of the market as a whole is going to help them. Yeah. The, and then I guess I forgot to really hit competitors pretty deeply, but the big competitor, I think a lot of people know is C limited. 
Um, so I'd watch out what they have. They compete on the mobile wallet, I believe. I'm not an expert on either of these companies, uh, but yeah, definitely watch out what C Limited's doing. That's the other big player, I think, in the Southeast Asian market. But it's really hard uh, to identify the local competitors compared, compared to the United States where we live. Uh, but Ryan, you want to talk about your future growth opportunity? Yeah, I've got Grab ads. So uh, this is sort of the part where restaurants and local merchants can advertise to get more customers through the grab platform. So if you're like shopping or you're looking for food, um, you can kind of promote yourself if you're a restaurant or sort of that kind of merchant. Um, seems like a smart idea, especially if there's 25 million active customers using this app. Um, it's a way for them to kind of, it, it, it's a way to just help uh, the merchant side and get more money from them. So, um, yeah, I think that's just a good area to go about it. Uh, probably, probably better margins than ride hailing and food delivery. So yeah, that and can help that as well. I would. My other growth opportunity was going to be to uh, kill the grab bikes um, because that's a segment of their business, and I hate those. Oh, like, is that like line bikes? Yeah, it's like line bikes. Um, well, I've some, never understood that. Yeah, yeah, that especially in the U.S., it's been a total dud, but. And I guess in China, it's been a total dud too, if you've ever seen those photos of the landfills, which is thousands and thousands, probably almost a million of bikes just in these landfills from all these startups that got capital. But yeah, <laughs> well, some Southeast Asian countries, there's more of a bike and motorcycle culture. I guess it's more motorcycles for like the delivering and stuff for the crowded city streets. But I don't know if line bikes or whatever that comp is, <laughs> is going to be legit. Yeah, I mean, they touted that there's a lot more deliveries on two-wheel vehicles now. Yeah, so I think with like the food stuff, there's a lot of people on like mopeds or motorcycles, that kind of thing. I don't know if that necessarily equates to people riding bikes to oh, and from. God. But Yeah, I would be so out if they started touting their two scooter metrics. <laughs> Uh, what's yeah. your what's your future growth opportunity? So there's a lot of work they've been doing, I think, behind the scenes for the financial services. And my thing was kind of like the Grab Bank. And I'm assuming it would be called Grab Bank because they call everything Grab and then just what it is. Uh, so the financial services part seems to be doing well. It's a good concept. And they just got a license for a bank in Singapore. They also have an insurance product on top of this as well. We've seen it from companies like Square. And I guess Uber is trying to do this as well. When you have your marketplace of either merchants or just suppliers or whoever, sometimes they need financing, helping them with, you know, just all sorts of financial services. Having a bank do that is great. Providing them liquidity or whatever um, can just make it a better operating environment and improve everyone's profit margins in the long term. So that's kind of could be a key way for them to get some sort of operating leverage in this business, but uh, we'll see. And yeah. as well, the, the personal finance stuff with these mobile apps, there's just a tremendous opportunity for, for that. And there is, I mean, they do offer, I think, merchant loans and micro loans. So I think they're kind of yeah. on the ball with that already. So, so yeah, they, they have that. So if they have a bank, it'll just be, hopefully, they'll get better a better ROI. Yeah. All right. Uh, highlights, lowlights, Ian, what do you have? For me, yeah, for me, the clear highlight was the cohort um, analysis. They, they said, they basically showed their cohort analysis from 2016 through 2019. Um, the 2016 cohort is spending 3.6 times the initial spend. The 2019 cohort is already spending one and a half times the initial spend. It's just, it's a nice looking graph. They're growing their, um, GMV from each of these, um, 
from each of these cohorts and it's going up pretty linearly linearly. And so um, just, it, it looks like they're doing a good job with the users that they're able to retain of growing um, their share with those users and, and growing the share over time as well. So I like that. I also like the Southeast Asia market and grabs focus on it. I think that's a, I like the secular trends there. The low lights for me though, is it's just a tough main business to make money in this ride hailing slash taxi business is just, and food delivery, right? It just it's tough. Now they have some of these ancillary businesses in the payment side that I think is more interesting. You were just mentioning the banking side, but it's just tough to incentivize. It's tough to get customers to use your product and also be paying your drivers enough that everybody's happy. And for businesses where one or more of the parties are not happy in a general sense, um, it, I don't find those to be long-term profitable businesses. Um, I also kind of related to that. They they have this net revenue reconciliation that they show on their investor presentation. And I'm not sure I really like this. So you kind of alluded to this earlier, Brett, but they, I'm just going to read their definition. So they have gross billings, which is basically a measure um, that calculates everything they take in, um, from like the, the total billing for like a ride or whatever it is. Um, then they have, they break out driver and merchants base incentives, which they say refer to the amount of incentives to the driver and merchant partners up to the amount of commissions earned by grab from those drivers and merchants, which is a little confusing, but basically you, you learn what that means when they, they sum those two numbers to get adjusted net revenue. And then they take out driver and merchants excess incentives to get to net revenue. And what are driver and merchants excess incentives? Well, they say excess incentives occur when payments made to the driver slash merchant partners exceed grabs revenue received from such driver and merchant partners. And so they're actually paying these dri- some of these drivers and merchants more and significantly more than they're taking in from these drivers and merchants. And so they're operating at a basically at a gross profit loss or an adjusted or a net revenue loss from the get go on some of these things. And so their net revenue number, um, I don't know. It's just, you'd want to see audited financials to see exactly what's happening here, but it basically they're spending more to generate revenue than they're generating in revenue. And, um, that's always concerning to me when I see that. Yeah, I agree. Totally agree with that. That was a bit of a low light for me as well, which was they kind of, they have, they, they, it feels like they're getting the WeWork treatment because they're backed by SoftBank because you just look at some of the graphs and it was just like, um, all the financials are really, really adjusted. I mean, you think about the difference between the net loss and the adjusted EBITDA loss of the last year. It was $800 million in adjusted EBITDA losses. I might be getting these numbers wrong, so re- recheck me. But And then like $2.7 billion in net losses. And yep, so yep, they, yep. they get those. And I think SoftBank kind of encourages it. And then out of nowhere, they just have the rosiest projections moving forward. Yeah, Ian, what do you have? Yeah, I was just going to say, and then they cite like some of their graphs, they cite like a 20% CAGR, revenue growth CAGR, but they use their adjusted net revenue number rather than the net revenue number. And so taking out the excess incentives they pay to people, um, it, it just, it feels like you're being, you're being sold a little bit, right? And you always are in these investor presentations, but especially without the audited financials, um, it you're just kind of, you're left in the dark a little bit. And it definitely feels like you were saying, you're getting a little bit of that soft bank treatment. And here's one more thing. 2020 was a bad year. Uh, you know, you can't blame them COVID, right. But 
they're projecting pretty steady growth in areas that aren't going to get the vaccines for maybe two or three years, boy, you know? Yeah. And it wasn't just like, it's, it's when you look at the charts that they show you, even with the adjusted numbers, it's like lumpy the last few years and then 40% compound oh, yeah, growth rate every year for the next four years. Those guys were a unicorn. You ever seen a SoftBank presentation slide? Not a unicorn. It's a decacorn. It's a deca- yeah, yeah. We got the decacorns coming in. Who uh, knows SoftBank? I mean, I don't Also, know, so. the way they went public, I don't necessarily like the optics of it. It feels a little exploitative. Like they have I don't know if that's the word, exploitive maybe, but uh, yeah. it feels like Brad Gerstner was like at the peak of like SPACs was like, hey, I know you already have $4 billion sitting around in cash from SoftBank, but how would you like to tap into these retail investors too? Like we can yeah. go ahead and I, I take the, a few fees on it and then, yeah. you know, yeah. dump it to the retail. Like, Yeah. Yeah. I hate the capital as a mode strategy. They didn't need the money. I don't know. I mean, I guess that is my highlight is they are, they have $8 billion in cash on a billion in annual revenue. Hey, oh, also Uber six. had that post revenue. Uber had more and it's dwindling. Uh, so, yeah. Know. So just, you know, I guess, I guess I didn't really like the optics of that. Also the monthly active monthly transacting users declined 16% year over year. Uh, so even though the graphs were pretty with some of the user charts, I didn't think the numbers were actually that sound. Uh, some of that might've been due to COVID obviously, but then I, I guess the highlight I would say is it sounds like they have a lot of notoriety across Southeast Asia. Um, and if you kind of put on some rosy glasses or rose colored glasses, there is definitely an opportunity for this to be a really, really good business or much larger business as well. Yeah, that goes right into my highlights. I'll try to get more, you know, optimistic here. I mean, financial app stuff, that's a smart idea. I mean, we've seen the gross profit numbers from a lot, you know, PayPal, whatever. I mean, even cash flow numbers from all these, uh, Square, PayPal, whoever. Um, it's a smart idea. And then like Jumia, who we just covered, in theory, I want to say in theory, there's an opportunity to become the backbone for some of these economies as they enter the 21st century and try to adopt some of the East Asian and Western infrastructure that is lacking in a lot of these areas. Um, but well, as for me, I mean, ride hailing and food delivery might be my least favorite business models. Ryan mentioned scooters and scooters is probably taking the cake because that seems like the worst business model. I don't think they're in ever. scooters. So well, bikes, what are the bike stuff? The, the, the micro mobility revolution that never <laughs> came into play. Um, it was probably my least favorite thing. And then anything that the vision fund has touched makes me queasy simply because I think it, there's a tendency to bring in a culture of burning money. I like people who have a culture of making money. Um, and while I said ignorance of these markets could be an advantage, there's a reason for that because it brings a level of uncertainty, even when they're trying to build like a super app in Southeast Asia. Um, they have no traditional e-commerce product, which uh, I don't know why not. I mean, I don't know. feels like that is needed. Maybe I'm wrong there. I think they have shopping features i thought oh they, they might have they might not have the logistics for delivery on shopping but i i, I know on that little like spot tutorial video someone someone bought a dress after buying oh, okay. some grab eats okay so, so okay i might be wrong there um yeah and then on audited, audited financials i don't know it's just they do off they they will compete with coupon in singapore too 
That's true. Coupang isn't formally going there, but there's a lot of job openings in Singapore, so you can read through the tea leaves that they're going there soon. Um, yeah, so like it, with Graviton, it comes down to we cover Coupang. Uh, I, I don't know if you guys fall in the same boat here. Everything that Coupang is doing that I like, Grab isn't doing. And everything that Grab is doing that I don't like, Coupang isn't. I just like Coupang, that type of business model, JD.com, a lot better. Um, I guess that goes into more or less interested. You know, what are your final thoughts here? I'd say I'm a little less interested. It's, I just didn't like the types of numbers I was getting from the investor presentation. And I felt like I couldn't really get a handle on this business because of that. felt like I, I'd like to see what all these margins are looking like that aren't heavily adjusted numbers. And um, it's a business I could see potentially if they got a quarter or two into the public market, started getting some financials out there, got an annual report. Um, it's something I could potentially see being interested in down the road, but right now there's just too much uncertainty. Um, it's probably one of those things, you know, this is one of the ones that could make me look pretty stupid that if this thing really gets going, starts growing revenues really significantly, you know, it, it, it could grow and it could now could be a great time to get in because there's more risk and there's more uncertainty right now, but there's, there's enough risk and uncertainty that I wouldn't want to get in it myself until I got a little bit of clarification on some of these, uh, some of these items especially at 25 times sales. I mean, right. guys, that's expensive. I mean, EV might be a little better, but you know. <laughs> yeah. If you take what they say at face value, they sort of paint this picture of we run the day-to-day -day lives of our customers or our users. I, before I ever invest in this, I think I would have to know how important it really is to their users because if they're painting it as like a, we're an all in one super app that everyone uses and people are just using like discounted rides or like the benefits, like where, you know, you see cash app kind of hemorrhaging money uh, to get people to get on, I guess they're, well, they're, growth they're doing problem. fine they, financially, but they uh, have a lot of growth problems. Yeah. Uh, when I say that hemorrhaging money, I don't mean that cash app as a whole. I'm just saying as a user acquisition strategy, obviously I've made up for it. You know, I use the cash part all the time, but yeah, continue. Yeah, I guess the financial services part I like, but uh, I just, it's hard without knowing how important it really is in real life. I'd get to, I'd like to get some more anecdotal evidence, I guess. So I'm, I'm going to go less interested for now. Yeah, I'm less interested. I would ask, uh, has there ever been a ride hailing company, food delivery might have had in 2020, um, that has generated a trailing 12 month operating, like has been cash flow positive for a 12 month period ever? Has there been a ride hailing company that is actually cash flow positive? I don't think there has been. It's nascent. It's an immature market. Yeah, it's immature. Where, where this is tens of billions of GMBs. This so is immature. growth time. Also, I find it incredibly uh, concerning that they all own each other. It's yeah. almost like a, one of us is going to make it, and we're all going to like just piggyback off that person. <laughs> yeah, I'm. I, I'm way less interested. This maybe, and I don't want to exaggerate here. It's the least my least favorite company we've covered in a long time. Um, Oof. Coupon over I, Jumia. Jumia, uh, I I didn't like that at all either. Um, <laughs> but sorry, yeah, yeah, just, I don't know, to each his own. But yeah, for all the reasons I like Coupon, or all the reasons I don't like Grab. Um, again, I I just hate these businesses. There's so much uncertainty. 25 times sales in a market that's affected by COVID. What if um, I told you that the CEO is friends with Andrew Ross Sorkin? Yeah. <laughs> the Andrew Ross Sorkin stamp of <laughs> approval. 
uh, I, I just, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know what they're seeing here. I mean, I, you know, obviously Altimeter got to see all this stuff, whatever. They probably, you know, were able to audit that themselves. But right now with all that uncertainty, like for us, we're kind of in on a black box. Um, I think Altimeter specs, because they've had such, such a successful track record, I, I think anything Altimeter touches gets a premium. Yeah, and hey, maybe, you know, like Ian said, they could be doing 200 billion in GMB in 10 years or way more than that. You know what I mean? They could totally execute. What are the, how many users are they at right now? 6 million? Is that the number? 25 million. 25 million. Um, they could get that to 200 million for all the people in Southeast Asia. Um, I guess one note, if people, you were mentioning like the, the, the actual use to people's lives. If you track users versus GMB, kind of just do whatever metric you want to do as a percentage, like how, you know, GMB per user or whatever, that's a good track of how much yeah. people are actually using it. Yeah, I agree. All right. Uh, anything what's, else from you guys before we wrap things up? Nope. I'm seeing some heads shake. What's your uh, What's your stock for next yeah, week? Yeah, my stock for next week is going to be Afterpay. We're going to hit a Ooh. buy now, pay later company that's been hot right now. Um, we're going to look at the business model and see how it shakes out because it feels like a credit card to me. Uh, but we'll Fred Lou. That's like a Fred Lou pick, right? Yeah, they Hayden Capital. Yeah, I don't want to speak for what they own now, but when they wrote in their annual letter, a great report on them. Um, they've done, I mean, it's been a, it's been a phenomenal form. I think the stocks look like 10X. Uh, so I think Grab might use them. That, no, maybe cool. I think Afterpay might be a part of the mobile wallet. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. All right. We'll go. Yeah. We'll investigate that next week. Uh, that's going to do it for this episode. Thank you guys for listening. Remember, we are not financial advisors. Anything we say on the show is not formal advice or recommendation. Ryan and I are general partners at Arch Capital. Arch Capital clients may hold securities discussed in this podcast. Again, thank you all for listening. We'll see you next Sunday uh, with Brad. He should be back.